when it comes to Mitsubishi four-wheel drive drag racing records, we've seen plenty of earlier model Evos in the 8s and even a handful now in the 7s. But the Evo 10 hasn't really been adopted as a common drag racing platform. Despite this, the English racing built Evo 10 behind me currently holds the world record with an 827 at 174 mile an hour. We're here with Miles from English Racing, driver of this Evo 10. Welcome to High Performance Academy's Tuned In Field Report podcast series. In these special midweek episodes, we look back through our archives to find the best conversations we've had through years worth of attending the best automotive events across the globe. We've pulled the audio from these tech-filled interviews with some of the industry's most well-known figures for you to enjoy as a quick hit of insider knowledge. So 827, you're miles ahead of the competition at this point. The Evo 10 for a start, I want to just talk about the differences between the earlier CT9A chassis and weight is one of the big factors, it's a, it's a physically bigger chassis and it's heavier, how much of an issue is that and what have you done to get weight out of this car? Yeah, so when we first started racing this car, it was a full weight street car, like full interior, factory gas tank, everything and like we just broke everything you could imagine drivetrain wise transmissions differentials uh, transfer case like everything just broke and it was a struggle to get the car to run into the nines we finally did it but it was like it wasn't easy so we just took the approach of we need to get weight out of this thing so we got weight out of it and it just everything just started dropping i mean we we have carbon doors in the insides no windows in it it's all still factory glass but we we've gotten rid of a lot of weight i think the car with me and it's 2820 with driver that's a good effort, but safe to say it's still a, a fair bit heavier than a lightweighted CT90. It's definitely a pig. It's 350 pounds heavier than our 7-second Evo 8, so it's it's a pig compared to that car for sure. But this car still kind of looks streetcar-ish, like still has all factory windows, so we could definitely probably pull 50 to 100 pounds in that. If the driver lost weight, we could get some weight out of there too. I have a heavy seat in it. It's just a comfortable seat than the Kirky, so... You know, there's definite parts. And once we, if we did like lightweight subframes and stuff, this has all factory subframes. And so we started getting some, getting a little more into it. You know, I think 200 pounds is definitely doable. Uh, the eight has a lot of titanium hardware on it that helped weight everywhere. So that one will take a bit to get to. Right now, we're we're not quite there. We're just trying to make a little more power to go faster right now hit it with a bigger hammer. Yeah. Now that comes down to the next part I wanted to talk about. The 4B11 engine, while it is technologically a far more advanced engine than the 4G63 that we all know and love as Mitzi people, uh, there are some challenges when it comes to making the sort of power you need to run 174 mile an hour. The main one of course is that they've gone from a cast iron block, which is reasonably strong but heavy, to a lighter weight aluminium block which has strength issues. So can we start by talking about what you've done to that block to make the sort of power that you're making now yeah so right now in this car it's a golden eagle sleeved uh 4b11 um i believe it's 87 mil bore it's nothing crazy uh stock stroke crank um but in the initial when we started making a lot of power we started bending aluminum rods and you know we we went to our rod manufacturer at that time uh was we we switched to grp and they're like your issue is going to be you know, you need more weight on the rod because it was what they call, I guess, a window rod. It's not a solid beam. And so they're like, oh, we're like, all right, can you make us those rods? He's like, no, I won't make them. I go, well, why not? He said that the housing bore is too big on the 4B11 journals. So then we decided to go to approach of 
before we have a custom crank made, let's see if it works first. So we actually cut down the factory crank to a smaller rod journal and then had the rods made to fit that. The rods actually won't fit in the bore anything less than 87 mil bore. So it has to be 87 or bigger for our, our rotating assembly combo. After that, we really didn't have any issues with rods bending or rods breaking. Then we started having to work with, you know, I believe we're probably one of the big pioneers in the 4B11 to figure out how to keep it all together and obviously help with companies like GRP with rods and then valve train stuff from GSC. We kind of came to a good combo that now we we have, uh, I think, 19 passes on this motor over 165 miles an hour and everything is still really good. I just want to come back to that. So you've basically said that you've machined down the diameter of the connecting rod journals on the factory crank just to test that test smaller, that, yeah. smaller crank journal. Uh, once you've proven that that was that was successful, did you then go and have a custom billet crank made, or have you just settled on using the factory crank? <laughs> right now, we actually spend quite a bit of money cutting down a factory crank. We have it renitrated and everything done, so it's go. actually like when we get it, it's like a. $1,500 factory crank, it seems like, in the end. We haven't gotten to a billet uh, crank yet. There's talk about it, um, but we haven't got there yet. Um, I guess at the end of the day, if what you're doing is working, then there's no reason to change it. <clears throat> I just want to touch on that as well. You just mentioned the, the fact that you've had the crank nitrided, yes. and, and that's something that probably is easy to overlook, is that there is a surface, normally an induction hardening on the factory crankshafts, so it gives a very hard surface, which is great for the journals because it prevents wear. So as soon as you machine that journal down to a smaller size, you machine through that hardening, so that nitriding is used to to uh, basically recover that hardened surface. Exactly. Yeah. That's that. From what I understand, that's how it is. Um, we send it to a company called Shaftech, and they uh, they're in the USA, and they 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 do the cutting for us, and they renitrate and do everything there. So. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com/free and start developing your own skills today. All right, let's move into the cylinder head now. The other advantage for the 4B11 uh, is the uh, variable cam control. I mean, they did have that, of course, on the uh, the intake of the Evo 9 as well. But are you still retaining that? It's less of an issue for drag racing because we generally work across a narrower rev range, but are you still using the variable cam control? We use it on the on the intake only, not the exhaust. The exhaust, I, I remember, it just when you add all that seat pressure, there's not enough in there and it never seems to work. So we basically zero out the exhaust, but we do use all of of the MyVec on the intake. We use that hardcore. Now, the other aspect when you're using MyVec or variable cam control on uh, an engine that's designed to make massive power at massive RPM is often the ability to swing that cam or move it, advance yeah. it and retard it, limits your cam profile. So is that a, a balancing act with what you've got there? You've mentioned GSC cams. Yeah, so we have, their, we have GSC S3s in this car and um, they are their biggest cam they make for an Evo 10 right now. And honestly, these motors, I might get a lot of hate from this. I feel like these motors make more power than a 4G when you put a smaller turbo on them, factory motors. Like, you know, we make 450, 500 horse on stock motors, stock cams, no problem. Evo 8s, you got to put cams in them before they do anything. So I do believe they're probably a 8 to 10% increase over a 4G. Once you get to the big power stuff, they all kind of seem to get around the same. Um, I do believe that the design and the way, no rockers, you don't have a rocker geometry issue, it's, it's cam over bucket. That's a better design in general. Um, and, uh, you know, the GTRs have the same, 2JZs have the same design. So I, I like the head design better. I feel like it's more efficient in that side. Um, but, yeah, I mean, we just have a set of S3s in there. They're off the shelf. And um, 
really uh, obviously just doing the job yeah, there. Work. I, I think it's probably also worth mentioning there. You've you've sort of said about the flow through the 4G 63 head versus the 4B11, uh, and the 4B11 is a much more modern design. That 4G 63 engine, while we'd seen uh, advances, it's 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 a pretty pretty old engine, so it's it's un, not not to be unexpected really. Okay, so let's talk about the turbo system on it. Obviously, that's really the key there uh, to to making the airflow. So, what have you got on it? So. Uh, the records pass was set on a 6785. Now we have a 7685. Uh, the 67, you know, this thing creeps, unfortunately. So we use a lot of throttle control, which you can talk about that later. But right now, the minimum boost it runs is about 53 or 4 pounds, even with twin gates. Um, and uh, so we use a lot of throttle to control it off the launch to keep to keep the arp, to keep the boost down. So you're, you're talking there. You can't run below 53 psi. Four-wheel drive drag car. You're yeah. never going to be able to launch with that amount of boost and that amount of power. So you're actually closing the drive-by-wire throttle to essentially reduce the the flow into the engine. Yeah. So we have a table that's boost versus vehicle speed and throttle position. So we can set the throttle position that if it starts getting, let's say Luke has it set right now. Lucas has it set to where if it gets to over 40 pounds, it'll start. It'll close the throttle like. 70% and it won't allow the car to see more than 40 pounds up until like 60 miles an hour and it'll keep the throttle there and it does really good um, because that's what we fought on the Evo 8 before is like that car runs 60 pounds minimum on on um, on the 7685 which is what we put on this now 7685 and so we use a lot of there's a lot of control there and luckily we have uh, we have a development package on this car with uh, for John Reed so anything that Lucas comes up with and thinks about he can add in at any time and Luke thinks of a lot of crazy stuff I'll just come back to that for those who aren't aware so the cars are running a Motec M150 yeah. ECU with what they refer to as a development package and that allows you through John Reed Racing who's who's writing the custom firmware basically you can modify the firmware or change the way the ECU works. So if you think up a, a crazy function that you want to try, maybe some kind of boost control, then John Reed can modify the way that ECU works. So quite un, unusual and a little bit unique in the aftermarket ECU yes. world there. That's what sets the M1 above everything else, I believe. We haven't actually touched on power yet. Yeah. So power and boost, when she's all in on the dyno, what are you running? Yeah, I mean, all we did was throw it on the dyno right before we came here. And at 55 pounds, it made 1170 and like 700 or 680 foot pounds of torque. And uh, that we did like two pulls on it. And we're like, okay, we can work with that at the track because we have enough data to know what we need RPM wise to launch, how much boost, etc. So uh, 1170 and I think 680 foot pounds of torque is what it made. It's made, we had an 83 on it many years ago and it made like 1199, but our motor program back then wasn't quite as good as it is now. And we would, I mean, that car, that turbo is a lot laggier and we were fighting keeping the thing spooled up in between shifts and stuff when now this one actually spools really good compared to that. And it's not quite the 67, but it's a good balance, and that's I think that's something that's really important to mention. There is when you're trying to make power, and you need power to run the ETs and the mile and hour. But it is always a balancing act there, and it's not just a case of throwing on the biggest turbo you can find and uh, finding that you don't get full boost until seven, seven and a half, eight thousand RPM. You've got to have that usable power band. So sometimes less is more there, but uh, certainly a big step up over the sixty-seven millimeter turbo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because like the sixty-seven or the six. 67 would basically the most boost we'd be able to get out it's like 53 or 4 pounds and then it's like quite a bit over one-to-one -one back pressure this one at 55 pounds is like 
15, 20 pounds under one-to-one back pressure. So we have, well, I mean, I know within a couple pounds, usually that number changes a lot, but we should have, I mean, we ran the Evo 8 with the same turbo up to 70 pounds, and we were still under one-to-one there. So I'm hoping that we can get a little bit of a ways, but we've also never been at that power level with this car. So it is, like we all know, it's 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 a learning curve. So we're at we're gonna add another 150, 200 horsepower, so we'll, we'll be able to find out how good our motors really are now. So, A couple of things I just want to go back and unpack there. So you just talked about the, the ratio between your boost pressure and the inlet manifold, which is all most people ever think about. But the other aspect that's easy to overlook is you've also got exhaust back pressure. And that ratio there you've mentioned, the one-to-one, that's kind of uh, a really sweet spot yeah. when it comes to drag racing. Yeah. If you can get to a situation where your back pressure is below your boost pressure, the engine really starts to respond. And we yeah. sort of almost see exponential increases in power also allows you to run a bigger cam so everything just starts to to really ramp up whereas on a street car we may see the exhaust pressure uh, as much as double the boost pressure so it's a big difference there now we've talked about the power I want to also talk about the drivetrain because that's another real issue with uh, the, the factory Mitsubishi yep. setup so what have you done there to keep it reliable so right now we have a uh, graph five-speed dog box um, they were the first ones, I mean, they're who we've been working with since like 2014. Same transmission in my Honda, five-speed dog box built by them. Um, so we've got that. We have a Shep transfer case in it, and we have a carbon drive shaft shop driveline. And then the rear, we have a 3000 GT rear diff that we just did. And so that one's like, I think, 30% bigger than an Evo 8 diff because that's what was in it. Uh, the factory 4B11 diffs have AYC and everything back there, and those things are all cast aluminum on the outside, and they seem to break really easy. I got streetcar guys who break those way too easy. So we went to the Evo 8 diff as soon as we could, which we also ditched the AYC in that too. Um, and then as far as uh, drive, drive shaft shaft rear axles, front axles are, are factory I believe right now usually breaking those you got to break something in the training to take those out so uh, one thing we do have is this car still has a factory ACD transfer case in it so for those who aren't aware ACD active center differential so this controls the torque split front to rear correct yes yeah and so there's two ways we could have gone about it we went with a mechanical uh, ACD pump that we have come up with in house that's really we just the more pressure we run the more 50-50 lock it becomes uh, it took us a long time to figure out the pressure of what 50-50 was and where not to run it because more 50-50 makes it much more difficult to launch an all-wheel drive car. So really it's, I don't have a true number what it is, but it's more front-wheel drive than rear-wheel drive right now. And uh, we, when we put the rear diff in it, we knew that we could hit it harder, so we added more pressure. Um, so we used that. Now, obviously the ideal way would be is now that we have an M1 in it, it has fully, it has the ability to do uh, active center ACD control via the ECU, which we've thought about going back to that, but right now we kind of have a proven combo that works, so we don't want to reinvent that wheel. But ideally, like we all know, when you have an ECU control everything, usually it's a little better. So something like that is maybe something in the future we're going to do. So at the moment, am I assuming there correctly that you're actually running a fixed split right the way down the drag strip, whereas potentially with a MoTeC you could vary the split and uh, the amount of drive as you go down the strip? We could, we literally could. I mean, we've thought about of having it like locked and then unlocked throughout down the track. You know, I know the GTR, some of them will go, now they have full control, some of the guys will go like, you know, full rear-wheel drive three-quarters of the way down the track. You know, it changes. So we could do that, but right now it seems to work really good and we're just kind of keeping it like that. 
Uh, just coming back to that uh, dog engagement five-speed gearbox as well. So the dog engagement box is great for a drag application because you can clutchless shift. You don't need to back off the throttle. But there's a little bit of intervention there required from the ECU to allow that. So can you talk us through how that system works? Yeah, so right now we actually have a string gauge on the shift knob itself. And when that senses X amount of pressure, it, it uh, activates an ignition cut and it just goes right into the right into the next gear. So obviously above a certain RPM, it activates that and I believe above a certain speed, it'll it'll let it activate that too. And the gearbox is still H pattern shifted? H pattern shifted, yeah. Yep. All right, so you've gone 827 at the moment. Uh, I'm assuming you're hoping to go a little bit faster. If the stars all align this weekend at TX2K, where do you think this could end up? I mean, yeah, I mean, the ultimate goal right now is, I mean, the Evo 8.9s in the USA just ran 7s last year. Uh, we currently have that record. I think we would we would love to have the first e- 4B11 in the 7s. Um, we know how difficult it is to run that. We know how difficult it is to get there. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd love to run the 7. Really, I just want to get used to this car again because, uh, of course, my first pass yesterday, I thought it was the Integra. So I clutch shifted all the way down, and I was like, what am I doing? I don't need to do that. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'd like to improve on that. I have a feeling that the mile an hour is going to go more no matter what. Uh, that's just going to happen. Um, hopefully, we can get the slipper working perfect again. So I don't think we, we, we touched on that part. Um, Actually, yep, that's a great point. Let's yeah. talk about yeah. the slipper because yeah. this is kind of the dirty little secret yeah. for our four-wheel drive drag cars. Yeah. And getting the car to launch cleanly really requires the driver to slip the clutch yeah. to get the car to move off the line without breaking into massive amounts of wheel spin. Yeah. But, of course, for the driver to do that consistently run after run, incredibly difficult. Very difficult. So tell us how you're doing this. Yeah, so basically we have a Magnus clutch slipper that has a solenoid that's activated that once it goes above X percentage, it activates the solenoid that slips this clutch. I mean, sometimes you're like, is this clutch ever going to come out because of how slow it is, And which is how it was yesterday. It only did like a 1.560 foot, but like this clutch, like I felt like it took way too long, but it's what keeps the, 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 the consistency and it coming out smooth. One of the biggest problems with all-wheel drive cars is when you they come out they let the clutch out too much it's like it just looks like it's hopping back and forth as it goes and that is the very fine line of getting that clutch slip perfect and and if you have maybe a shorter first gear that would be much easier than a very tall first gear and this has kind of a tall first gear to go like 65 almost 70 miles an hour in first gear so we use the slipper quite quite a lot and we have a exity triple carbon clutch in it that loves to get slipped so that's a nice advantage for the carbon clutches that they do take a lot more heat and abuse than a, a conventional clutch and i think it's also worth mentioning there that slipping the clutch is, is also a key to getting uh, reliability out of the drivetrain making sure you're not going to be busting components every pass all right look miles it's been great to chat yeah. we uh look forward to seeing that cargo faster yeah. this weekend and hopefully a seven in the not too distant future yeah. thanks for the chat yeah thank you thanks for being here again If you enjoy this podcast, please feel free to leave us a review on whatever platform you've chosen to listen to it on. It goes a long way to helping us get the word out there. All these conversations and much more are also available in full on our High Performance Academy YouTube channel, so make sure you subscribe.